Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. And so God's command God's commanding us. He says, with with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You see what happens when you wear big pants without a belt? Put on the full armor of God. You miss one piece, this is what you look like going to war. You can't run. Can you imagine all the soldiers like trying to go to war just like, it ain't going to happen. The belt of truth. That's what you look like when you don't bathe in God's truth. Let's go! You don't even understand. I'm excited. Right before I came out here, I I took a few sips of a, a rowdy energy drink. I'm caffeine sensitive. But guess what? It don't even matter because long before a few moments ago, I've been up praying, seeking the Lord, asking for his anointing, asking for his spirit to be in this place. I'm ready to break dance on the devil this morning. I want to thank Pastor Dave for the opportunity to speak. I want to thank all of you for listening because I'm thanking you in advance. So guess what you have to do now? You got to listen. You got to pay attention. So why don't you take your seat? We'll get into it. Seriously, though, thank you to Pastor Dave. Thank you to, uh, to a pastor that gives a youth pastor the authority the ability, the grace to do this. And thank you for a youth pastor who trickles that same authority, power down and empowers people just like me. I I got no business being up here. And I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. I'm grateful that, like, check this out. I get to not just go to the same church as my brothers, but I, I get to serve that church alongside them. Not a lot of people get to do that. And it is, I tell you what, pretty cool because we have a ton of fun doing it. And we had so much fun growing up and getting into all sorts of trouble at this church and outside this church. I remember, so like when we grew up, holler if you can resonate with this, we, we got so into paintball. Like we were like, we were paintball fiends. Like, we were all about it. Like, if you know my dad, he is, like, one of the most addictive personalities you'll ever meet. And so, like, we come home one day and we're like, hey, dad, I don't know if you ever heard of paintball. It's really cool. We should, like, buy a couple of guns or whatever. And then all of a sudden, dad's got, like, the Titman 98 custom with the 18-inch barrel, the auto-feed hopper, and the automatic attachment. You know, it's just like, it's like, it was really fun playing paintball with dad until he started enjoying paintball. And then it's just like, 
he's shooting the paintballs at 360 feet per second, and, and we just, you know, they go right through us. We just die. <laughs> but I remember my brothers and my dad would always try and get me to play paintball with them. And I was like seven years old, and I was, I was terrified to play paintball. I was so scared. I just like, they, they would use red paintballs, and it was, it was psychological. All of a sudden, it hit the mask, and it splatter red, and I'm like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> it was so scary to me. And then I remember one day, they were, like, really pressing me. Like, my dad was like, come on, come on, Luke, come on. It's not bad. It doesn't even hurt. Come on. I'm like, it, I'm, you're lying. I know it hurts. It for sure hurts. And he said, well, how about this? And he, he gathered up all the guns from all the guys, and he said, all right, guys, go out, go out in the field and, and go hide. And he handed me his, like, his gun with the sniper barrel, and he handed me the gun. He, could, he said, all right, all you boys out there, just run around. And I was just sat there with a gun, and I'm like, okay, I'll play paintball. Like, let's go. And I just started picking them off. The fear completely left me because the father disarmed the enemy. I said, the fear left me because the father disarmed the enemy. Do you want to stomp out some demons this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can come into a place that honors you, that adores you, that worships you. God, that we can come into a place with like-minded individuals that don't just want to say they are Christians, but they want to walk out the Christian life, of what it means to be more like Jesus, of what it means to combat the enemy. And so, Jesus, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit be in this place, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and speak to us. And right now, Jesus, we pray against the spiritual warfare going on right now in this place, the spirit of distraction, the spirit of pride, the spirit of offense, any spirit that is not of Jesus, it is not welcome in this place, so you can get out right now. And Lord, we just pray all of this in your mighty name, the name that can do literally anything, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So today I want to be talking about a man named Joshua. Joshua was one of the leaders of Israel, and so what, what happened basically was God spoke to Joshua, and he was the leader that was appointed right after Moses. And, and what God said to Joshua, he said, all right, listen up. Moses, he dead. This is on you now. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all this land. You're going to conquer all these nations, and you're going to do it all in my name. All you have to do is follow my commands and keep the words that I've said to you as a promise to the people. Withhold to it. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, God says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. The next verse, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Do this, and you'll do this, and I'll give you that, and you'll take over that. So in, in, in one verse, he says, be strong and courageous. And in the next verse, he says, be very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And two verses later, 
God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's like a whole lot of be strong and courageous. You see, I can, I can like look at this and think like, okay, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Like it, there's only one or two things going on here. Either number one, God is really forgetful and he can't remember what he already said. You know, is it like a, is it like a, you know, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. You know, have I told you yet? It, have I not commanded you? I don't remember. Be strong and courageous. That's, I need you to make, make sure you catch that. I, no, God's not forgetful. See, when God is telling you something over and over and over, it's not because he forgot that he already told you. It's because he wants you to catch it. Listen to him. This whole weekend, I, I, keep hearing, I keep hearing a number of you. You'll, you'll say like, hey, I just keep hearing this word, or I keep hearing the Lord tell me to do this, or I keep, I keep feeling him pulling me towards this direction or whatever. And he's going to keep doing it until you listen. He's going to keep doing it until you obey the command. And so be strong and courageous. This is what God was telling Joshua. And what's really important to even recognize about the be strong and courageous is God telling Joshua in this moment was not the first time that Joshua heard it. And what's even more interesting, it wasn't the last. You see, if we rewind a little bit, as Moses was appointing Joshua in front of all of Israel, saying, this is going to be your new leader. I'm about to die, y'all. I need Joshua to take over. And what he says to Joshua in front of everyone is, guess what? Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to bring you into the promised land. You will cross the Jordan. He will deliver your people in this land and that country and give you all this territory and, and reiterated all of the promises. And then a few chapters later, God, like we just mentioned, tells Joshua himself. And then Joshua is he takes what God told him and he's going before the people of Israel and he's like, all right, guys, this is what God said. Almost like Joshua forgot that in Deuteronomy, Moses already said all of that, what God said. He said it in front of all of Israel. So Joshua's going to Israel and, and he said, he's like, okay, this is what we want to do and this is what God is commanding us and blah, 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 you know, be strong and you know, all that stuff. And so he's telling uh, he's telling the people of Israel as if it's like new information. And I love this in verse 18. This is, this is what Israel says back to Joshua. They say, yeah, yeah, we got it. We got it. We got it. We remember whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them will be put to, get, put to death. Only be strong and courageous. That's how the chapter ends. Only be strong and courageous. We get it. Like the only thing we really need to understand out of this is be strong and courageous and God's going to take care of the rest. That is all he's really asking of us. Be strong and courageous. If you are strong and courageous, you will obey the command of the Lord, and he will deliver everything into your hands. Your enemies will be at your feet. See, this is it's a curious thought to me because Joshua, he, he was a military man. He had military background. So the idea that 
God needed to reiterate and reiterate the thought of be strong and courageous to him, it doesn't really make sense to me. It's like if Joshua was kind of a, a wimp, like if he was a scaredy cat, it's like, yeah, I need to tell you again and again, and it, don't forget, be strong and courageous. You're not going to want it, babe, but hey, be strong. But like, he came from a military background. In my head, like, wouldn't you think he would just be strong and courageous naturally? See, God wasn't saying, have I, have I not commanded you yet? It wasn't, it wasn't a forgetful thing. It was italicized. Like, think about it that way. Like, when you're reading in a book and then all of a sudden it italicizes, like, have I not commanded you? Like, with, with a little bit of sarcasm attached to it, like a sassy. Like, I love when God is sassy. It's, honest, it's my favorite flavor of our Lord, I tell you what. Like, wait, have I not commanded you? Like, are you listening at all? Be strong and courageous. Because God doesn't forget. And so Joshua, he ends up following the command of the Lord. He goes where God tells him to go, and he's leading the people how God tells him to lead. And he finds himself uh, outside of a city called Jericho. Now, now Jericho, it was a highly fortified city. It wasn't like some random village. It was like, it was a city to be feared. It was, it was a city that like, if you, if you poke it, it's going to turn around and mess you up. It was that kind of city. And so he's outside the, the walls of Jericho, and he sees a, a man with a sword drawn. And he's strong and courageous, I'll tell you that much, because he goes up to the man and he says, are you for us or are you against us? If I saw a dude just out in the middle of nowhere with a sword just like out, I'm probably not going to go up and just ask him a question, let alone such an accusatory question of, are you for us or are we going to mess you up? Because that's basically what he's saying right now. And this dude's got his sword drawn, and what he says back to him, I love this, he says, neither. I am the commander of the angel armies. Let's unpack that just a second here. The commander of the angel armies is Jesus. Now, don't forget, this is the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't been born yet. Pastor Luke, is the Bible contradicting himself? No. God is God, and he's going to do whatever he wants. So if Jesus wants to come down and visit, he did it plenty of times throughout the Old Testament, and that's what's going on right now. So check this out. What, what the, the uh, commander of the angel armies, what he says, he says, right now, Joshua, take off your sandals. Now, remember Moses, that, the other guy? Let's rewind a few, uh, yeah, quite a, quite a few chapters, actually, back to Moses when he first gets his command and call from God. The angel of the Lord, again, Jesus visiting someone in the Old Testament, he comes before Moses in Exodus chapter 3 in the form of a burning bush. What? Sounds crazy. So the bush is burning, but it doesn't get burnt. Right, physics, I know. But Jesus, he does what he wants. And so what happens is Moses approaches this bush like, what's going on here? Why is it not burning up? Honestly, I'd probably do the same thing. And then the bush talks to him. That's probably when I would stop approaching the bush. I'd be like, uh, nope, you ain't supposed to talk. I mean, you're not supposed to do what you're doing already. And then you just like words. No, that's what is happening right now. And what the bush says to him, and he, is, he says, God speaks to Moses and he says, take off your sandals for 
where you're stepping right now. It's holy ground. And so we see Jesus giving the call of God on Moses' life, starting with take off your sandals. And then we see Jesus giving a similar call to Joshua, take off your sandals. And this is what's interesting. They didn't have to listen. They didn't have to take off their sandals. See, I like to think about it, think about it this way. When God tells someone to take off their sandals, he's like, I got to tell you something, but you're going to want to sit down for this one. It's going to be a doozy. Because when God spoke to Moses and said, take off your sandals, the people of Israel were enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years at that point. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to use you to pull them out of Egypt, and you are going to lead them to the promised land. And it's like, uh, what? No, I, are, I escaped Egypt. You want me to go back? And then what he says to Joshua, I'm going to use you to conquer Jericho. Sometimes God tells you to do something a little bit crazy. And he might tell you to take off your sandals right beforehand. But let me explain this to you. You don't have to take off your sandals. You don't. If you want to keep your sandals on, that's fine. But never forget, it is a lot easier to keep your sandals on. What God appreciates is that extra step of obedience. I don't have to take off my sandals. But when you tell me to do something, something as little as take off your sandals, like it's not a big deal. I can just keep my sandals on. Like what, what's really the difference? It, it doesn't matter at all. No, God, in the little things, in the things that don't really seem like they matter at all, in the things that don't seem important at all, I'm going to take off my sandals. I'm going to give you that extra step of obedience to show you that in the little things you can trust me. So when you call me to conquer Jericho, you can trust me. I will obey you. When you call me to free your people from Egypt, what? I will obey you. You see, there was nothing to fear when Jesus told that to Joshua, go conquer Jericho. There was nothing to fear because it says, God has given you this city. If God hasn't given it to you, it's not yours. It's really that simple. If God hasn't given it to you, it's not yours. Many of you are in a relationship right now that God has not given to you. It's not yours. You shouldn't be doing it. Many of you are struggling with anxiety right now. It's not from God. He didn't give it to you. It's not your anxiety. Many of you are struggling with an addiction, some sort of temptation. It's not from God. You went and you took it. You walked out and you said, I know this isn't of God and it's not from God, but I'm going to take it anyways. And that is why you feel the way you feel. That is why you're living and walking the way you're living and walking. Because you took something that is not of God that he did not command you to take. Out of disobedience, you moved. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Leave that on the screen for a little while. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear. So why are you afraid? God didn't give it to you. It's not yours. Quit hanging on to something that's not yours. It's really that simple. But instead, this is what he did give us. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're writing this scripture down, what I want it just is big letters that as you can write, underline it, circle it, do whatever you got to do. Sound mind. That's what he gave you. He gave you a sound mind. Why is that important? Here's why. Because demons are looking to possess things that are not theirs. They want your mind. Your mind, it's not theirs. That's why they want it. They want to infect you with fear. They want to infest your mind with fear. It's not theirs, and they want it. You see, if we don't recognize the power of our mind in this battle, then we will lose the fortification, the security, the lockdown manner of our mind. And if the devil can get a hold of your mind, the way you think, the thoughts you think, now offenses grow. Now temptation's not temptation, it's just what I do. Pornography's not a big deal. Everyone looks at porn. Cigarettes aren't a big deal. My grandpa started smoking when he was 12. Alcohol is not a big deal. My dad handed me my first beer when I was seven. Sex isn't a big deal. Everyone's doing it. If you don't try it, then how are you going to know if you want to spend the rest of your life with that person? And these temptations, they, they're not temptations anymore. Because the devil's got your mind. The devil wants to oppress you and your ability to fight one thought at a time. The devil wants to oppress your ability to fight one thought at a time. According to neuroscience, most of the battles of your life are won and lost where? In your mind. Almost every single battle of your entire life can either be won or lost right here before it even begins. Your negative thoughts actually change the neurological makeup of your brain. When you start thinking negatively about yourself, about other people, when you start doubting what God has done in your life, your brain shifts. You're connecting synapse in your mind and it's over. You're creating pathways that become easier and quicker. You're creating highways of thought. It was a dirt road, and then it got paved, and then it became a four-lane highway, and it's just all the traffic's going down this road. And it's easy to just think this now and become that. If you believe a lie long enough, you begin to live that lie. It's not a lie anymore. It's just you. I once read in a, in a book about neurological communications. It said, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. But as we consciously direct our thinking, 
We can rewire our toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. You can consciously redirect your thinking. I told Kaylee, like, I was preparing for this message, and I told her, my wife Kaylee, at the beginning of this week, I said, man, I just, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I feel certain thoughts trying to get in my brain this week. They're not, I'm not thinking them. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It, it makes no sense. I could literally feel a thought on the outside of my mind trying to find its way in. It wasn't a matter of I needed to expel that thought out of my mind. I wasn't thinking it yet. I had a temptation to think it. It's weird. We look at it as a one-step process, but it's really a two-step process. The thought, it doesn't just pop up in your mind. It's kind of just hanging around. And are you going to let it in? You don't have to. You can block it out. You can fortify your mind. You can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. See, when you think positively, a chemical is released throughout your body called dopamine. Dope-amine. This is the only time in your entire life that I'll ever encourage you to do drugs. And it's got to be this one. It's the only drug I will ever allow. If you think positively... Dopamine is released into your body. Check this out. You can change your toxic thought patterns and get some dopamine. Every time. Like without, it's science. This is not me being like, I don't know, let's try this. Here's some good advice, I think. No, it's like, it's literal proven science. If you think positively, whether you want to or not, whether you feel like worshiping God, you recognize that he's worth your worship, and you think positively and full of faith in your heart, he gives you a, a release of dopamine. He gives you a reward. He literally built you to feel better when you follow his command. Also in that book, it says, when you think, you build thoughts. Emphasis on the word build. When you think, you build thoughts. And these become physical substances in your brain. Physical substances. So when you think, we've already established your brain, it doesn't just react and respond differently. It looks differently. Like, if you got a scan, look it up. Google it. Positive thinking scans compared to negative thinking scans. Your brain looks differently. It has different abilities. It has lessened abilities, and it has greater negative abilities. But it said, these become physical substances in your brain. What we understand today about the brain. This could change in five years as science progresses, but what we understand today is that the brain's storage capacity is around two and a half petabytes of information. If you're unfamiliar with computer words, here we go. That's about two and a half million gigabytes. Your phone holds like what, maybe 256? 
your iCloud storage, like if you're like, if you're like premium iCloud storage, it's like two terabytes, which is 2,000 gigabytes. Two and a half million gigabytes can be stored in your brain. It might sound like a lot, but here's the scary thing. Your brain never stops receiving information. Much like your phone or a computer or some sort of electronic, once the storage is filled, you try and drag a file over, and it's like, no, full, can't have it. You need to keep that right where you found it. But your brain, what it does is it receives the new information because it's new. It's exciting. It feeds it. It's like, give me that new information. And instead of just getting bigger, it disposes of it, the old information. Just like when you eat food, your body don't hang on to it. You see where I'm going with this? You eat new food, what happens to the old food? Brain's the same way. So what, when you are thinking negative thoughts, when you are receiving negative information from other people, when you are taking part in gossip, when you are slandering others, what are you getting rid of? When you're creating negative pathways of anxiety, when you are choosing that, when you are allowing fear into your life, what are you getting rid of? That's a scary thought. I'm getting rid of something. What is it? Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think it, you will believe it. If you believe it, you will be it. If you think it, you will believe it. And if you believe it, you will be it. See, I could ask you right now, is the blue team going to take home Collision Battles 2022? Now, before I start a non-spiritual war in this room, I better just slow it up a bit. What if they would have just gone, nah, we're not. Our lip sync's a dud. They're not going to win. If you don't think you're going to win, you're not going to win. And whether it's collision battles or spiritual battles, if you don't think you're going to win, you ain't going to win. If you don't recognize who's fighting for you, you ain't going to win. All you have to do is be strong and courageous. God's not telling you to lift a finger. He's like, I just need you to do this one thing. I'll take care of everything else. Because the battle's not even yours to begin with. It's his. You see, God does not need us. We're going to come back to that in a second here. But I want to preface, God doesn't need us. We're going to move on, and then I'll explain it. Let that ponder for a little while. God doesn't need you. See, Michael Jordan, he had this, uh, he had this ritual before every single game. He would have a pregame visualization ex exercise. So what he would be doing... While all the other players are out on the court during shoot-around, exercising their bodies, he was in the locker room on a bike, exercising his mind. And he's thinking, okay, if Magic Johnson does this, I'm doing that. If Isaiah Thomas does that, I'm doing this. If they come at me this way, I'm going to go at them that way. If I go at this, them this way and they move that way, I'm going to cut this way. 
he had a preconceived plan of execution. He already had his mind made up, so his reflexes just kicked in. See, I hear a lot of, a lot of basketball players talk about the fear that they had walking into games against the Chicago Bulls. We about to go up against Michael Jordan right now. They were terrified, knowing that, man, if I do this, he's just going to do that. Man, if I do this, he's just going to do that. Man, if, if, I, if I lock down my phone, the devil will just give me a new way to look at porn. Man, if I just get different friends, they're going to become negative too. Man, if I just get a different girlfriend, I'm, I'm sure she won't be like the one I have right now. And they, they surrendered to Michael Jordan, just like we often surrender to the enemy before the battle even begins. And so Michael's just walking in there, having his way with every NBA player he could imagine, because he's already got an attack plan. He already had his mind made up, a response to the enemy. Because we always think, oh, what if? We could go ahead and try this, but what if Michael does that? I can go ahead and try that, but what if, what if then the devil does this? Yeah, what if? What if I cross him up today? What if the devil tries to come at me this way and I break his ankles? What if? Flip the script. Change your tone. Italicize what if. Right now, your what if is all lowercase. Oh, what if this, though? Like, No, what if? What if my God intervenes and heals me? What if my God intervenes and frees me? What if my God intervenes and saves my family? What if my God intervenes and opens an opportunity only he can open? Capitalize it and italicize it. What if that belongs to the Lord? I think of, I think of another time when, when I was little. I, I was playing paintball again, and, and this time, I, man, I needed to face my fears. And sometimes, in order to face your fears, you need a little, you need a little teammate. You need, you need a partner. This is the community of God. This is why it's important to stay plugged into God's church. I remember we were all in the backyard, and they were playing paintball like the, the bigger kids were. And me and my cousin, my cousin was over, and we're the same age. And I was like, okay, Zach, I'll play if you play. And my cousin was, like, way less skittish than me, like, daredevil and he's like what do you mean it you're playing i'm playing let's go like he was whether i was playing or not he was gonna play and so i remember like we we would we would build like speedball courses in the backyard by setting up uh plywood sheets like against trees like barriers to hide behind and so like the start of the game like team is over here and a team is over there and and it was it was pastor dave and and another person i don't even remember who was over against me and my cousin and we were still little. And so uh, we had this rule where instead of like popping over a barrier and just shooting someone point blank range because, ouch, um, you, you gave them an option to surrender. And so you'd pop around the barrier and, and yell, surrender. And if they want to fight back, you let it rip. But if they just go, all right, game over, <laughs> you got me. And that's what I planned on doing. So I hid behind that back barrier. My dad goes, three, two, one, paintball. And everyone ran. And I just, I hid in the back line as far back as I could go until I was out of bounds. And I just sat behind that plywood barrier. 
and my cousin's on that side of it. And I'm like, hey, Zach, he gone. He already took off. And I, I was like, we going to make a plan or nothing. He was just gone. I was like, well, I'm definitely not moving now. And I sat there for minutes. And I'm like peeking around. I don't see anybody. I, I am tripping at that point. Like, I'm like, I don't see any, like, I don't hear paintballs flying. Like, where is everyone right now? I'm just like, this is, this is how scared I was. I was like, Lord, please let this be the rapture. And I was left behind. Like, I wanted it to be the rapture rather than someone shooting me with a paintball. And then all of a sudden, this body jumps around the plywood and yells, surrender. And it was Pastor Dave. And I went, ah! My reflexes kicked in, and I lit him up. I'm not joking. This is what happened. In his words, we were millimeters away from Zealand and Zion not being here today. Like, I got so lucky. He got even luckier than I did. It was a close call. All because my reflexes were determined, whether I knew it or not, to not surrender. Every single day of your life, the enemies are going to try and get you to surrender. So you're going to light them up, or are you just going to lay down? Your reflexes need to be trained, and we train our reflexes by having a preconceived plan. This is how I will respond. Don't wait for the battle to come to you to get together a battle strategy. Like when you're, when you're in war, like think about this like on a real world basis. In the physical realm, nations don't go to war together and then try and figure it out. They go, no. We have reconnaissance. We know that they're in this area of the world. We know that they're weak on this side. So we, if we attack them from that side, then we'll be able to get in. We'll be able to take control, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's strategic. It's smart. God's given you a brain. He's given you a mind. Use it. That's why the devil wants it. Because he knows if he can make you dumb, he can control you. Have a plan. Have a plan. See, there is spiritual warfare all around us every single day. Our eyes just need to be revealed to it. Because God didn't give you whatever the affliction is. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. He didn't give it to you. You're holding on to it. And all it takes is us to recognize is I don't have this addiction. What I have is not anxiety. What I have is actually an opportunity to call upon the God of the angels, to call upon the God of the universe, to call upon the creator of everything, to call upon the God who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why wouldn't I? Be smart. Use your brain. Have a response. This is our response as Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Setting it up right now. We're, we're here, but we don't fight 
just as the world does. It continues then in verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, I love this, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, you could, you could use the most powerful weapon on earth. Let's say a nuclear bomb even. It might destroy a city, but it's not going to destroy a stronghold. See, the weapons of the world, they'll do nothing. The strength of man does nothing. If you think through your own self-control and through your own self-discipline, through your own power, through your own sound mind that you are going to conquer whatever is in front of you, that battle is already lost. It's through the weapons of the spiritual realm that Jesus equips us with. Verse 5 continues, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Obedient to who? Not to me. To Christ. To make the thought obedient to Jesus. We don't argue back with the devil. That's what this is telling me right now. We don't argue with the devil. We demolish his arguments. I, uh, I had a, a Spanish teacher that had a poster on, on her wall. It said, don't argue with an idiot because they will bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. Don't argue with the devil. He's an idiot. He's been an idiot for a long time, a lot longer than us. So he's going to beat you with being an, an experienced idiot. Demolish the arguments that are set up against God. The knowledge of God is powerful. Wage war boldly, confidently. Confidently go before your God and say, I have this battle I need you to take care of. Tell on the devil. Tell on him. If he's your heavenly father, go tell on him. Say, Father God, he's picking on me again. And God's going to go squash him. Put him in his place. Wasn't that the best feeling growing up, getting your sibling in trouble? You can do that to the devil, you know. Go tell on him. Be a tattletale. God's going to mess him up. In May, we, uh, as a whole family, we went to Florida. All of us. All of the kids. I don't recommend this. It works for my family. It's what we did. It was super fun. But it's like 35 grandkids. There's all of us. Like, it was a lot. Oh, yeah, we stayed in one house together. <laughs> That's the kicker. So... We're in this house. It really was super fun. But we're in this house. And all of a sudden, like, people couldn't sleep. All of a sudden, people had, like, weird thoughts. All of a sudden, everyone in the house had, like, weird dreams. All of a sudden, people started struggling with anxiety in the house. All of a sudden, we started struggling with physical afflictions, like the stomach flu. We, we like, landed. The stomach flu started going through my family one person at a time. And this is not me blaming everything on the devil. I understand how the stomach flu works. I'm not stupid. But the timing, come on. There was something in that house. 
and everyone in my family, we were all like, hey, there's, there's something in this house. Maybe someone did something before, welcomed something in. I don't know. This ain't our house. But we made the mistake of going on vacation and just beginning to live in that house before claiming that territory. And we recognized that mistake just a couple days in, and, and Kaylee and I were so desperate to get our son to sleep, because he wasn't sleeping all night long. If you know anything about babies, no bueno. And so we were so desperate to get him to sleep that we were like, I'm sorry, family, we got to stay back today, because they were like going to like Disney this or Splash Pad that, and I was like, my kid can't even do Splash Pads, so <laughs> we need him to nap, actually. So we stayed back, and I talked to Kaylee, and I was like, we got to do something about this. This house ain't right. So we can either burn it down <laughs> or we can pray over it. And so we went over and we looked, we looked in the kitchen for some oil and all we could find was avocado oil. And it's like, okay, we're going to have some healthy prayers today. That's okay. <laughs> and so I took the avocado oil and I'm like, we are going to anoint every single doorway, every single thing that the Lord like directs us towards that needs some prayer, we're, I'm going to smother that thing. Let's go. And Kaylee's like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And uh, she did something weird. She walks up to the front door, opens it up, and just leaves it. She walks away, and I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm making it easy on them. <laughs> and then she starts yelling, spirits in this house that have no right to be here. I'm giving you an opportunity to walk your way right out of this house. Because what is about to happen here, you don't want to be here for it. Trust me. My God is the God Almighty. Who's going to take care of you? Who's going to tear you limb from limb? Who is going to turn you inside out? I better slow down before I pass out. But I tell you what, boys, find yourself a woman who prays the demons like that. Seriously. Man, the whole family came home, and they started, like, going into the doors and stuff, and they're like, what is everywhere? I'm like, we went to work when y'all was gone. There's a science called epigenetics, and it's the science of genetic code. And what it has proven is that your negative thinking, that your hatred towards others, your dispositions, your, your behavioral patterns actually shift your genetic code. So what that tells us is that when you choose fear, not just your life, but your legacy goes to smithereens. You can affect your children before they're even conceived. You are passing on a genetic code that you have just altered with disobedience to God. It, it reminds me in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says, uh, God is giving the Israelites a choice here. He says, today I, give, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. God went on to explain to them that through your disobedience, 
your descendants will live in curse for four generations. But through your obedience and love of God, I will bless your family and lineage for thousands of generations. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's, it's a crazy two-way street right there. Like, God's like, if you disobey me, you're going to live under that for a few generations. But if you love me, I will take care of you for your children's 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 thousand. That's nuts. And we can literally back it up by science. It changes your genetic code. The genes you pass on to your kids. You can choose to fear or you can choose to live, but you can't do both. You got to pick one. You got to pick one. And so what God commands of Joshua and his men, he commands them to march around the walls of Jericho for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around and then blast your trumpet. What? I thought you were sending us to war. No swords, no shields, like just walk around it and then like make a big sound. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. Remember, be strong and courageous. I'll take care of the rest. And so Joshua is faithful to this, follows the ob- in obedience to the Lord. And then the walls come tumbling down. Joshua did this without fear. This is the city of Jericho. Think about this. There's thousands upon thousands of Israelites outside the walls of Jericho. What do you think Jericho's doing on the inside? They're getting ready. They're getting strapped. They were on high alert. DEFCON 5. Is that the good, is, that's like the biggest one or does it go down? Whatever. They were, they're ready to go to war, right? And then God's like, all I want you to do is walk around it. Don't worry about the fighting. I'll, I'll take care of that. Just walk around it. So they do this without fear because rational fear says, don't go in the street. You might get by a car. It's proven by wisdom. Irrational fear says, better not go outside today. Outside has cars. It's built through distrust. The catalyst of trust is truth. Okay? The catalyst of trust is truth. And in order to wage war, we need to put on armor. I'm going to read this to you. Take it in. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God. Not just a bit of it. The full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with, the, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Truth is the cornerstone of trust. You can't trust God without covering yourself with his truth. If you don't mind, the air conditioning is actually pretty heavy right now. I'm just going to, I'm chilly. Just give me a sec. All right, let's get back to it. 
And so God's, command, God's commanding us. He says, with, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You see what happens when you wear big pants without a belt? Put on the full armor of God. You miss one piece, this is what you look like going to war. You can't run. Can you imagine all the soldiers like trying to go to war just like, it ain't going to happen. The belt of truth. That's what you look like when you don't bathe in God's truth. That's what you look like when every single day you wake up, you don't cover yourself in his word, in his truth. Because through the truth of God, Joshua trusts God and his commands. And then he sees the walls of Jericho crumble. Why? For God has given them the city. He's just going to hand it to you. In 1933, our president, Franklin D. Roosevelt at the time, he gave a very famous speech that included the words, the only thing to fear is fear itself. It, that's, it sounds a little strange, so let's unpack it. What was happening was the stock market had just crashed. The, the Great Depression was, was beginning, and then um, people, they pulled all their money out of the bank in fear that they were going to lose that money, and they began like burying it in their backyard and weird stuff like that. And, and the world was, it was ramping up into World War II. And he knew, like, we're, we're going to have to take part in this. But right now, our economy is tanking. So how are we going to go to battle? Because that costs money. And so what he told the American people to encourage them, on the brink of World War II, he says, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Don't fear what the enemy can do to you. Fear what the enemy can do to you when you allow fear to cripple you. Because if you don't fear, we got this, guys. If you don't allow fear into your life, the enemy can't touch you. He can't do anything about it. Years later, the soldiers on D-Day, if you're familiar with that battle, they, they stormed the beaches. And it was considered one of the most crucial battles in history that changed the course of World War II. And they stormed the beaches in, the, in these boats. They're coming up on shore. And as they're coming up, people left and right are getting shot. They're being killed right next to them. And they just got to ride it out. There's no going back at this point. Planes are flying over. They're getting shot out of the sky. Snipers and, and 50 caliber machine guns are firing down on them. And they're just riding it out. Let's get to the shore. Let's get to the shore. Because the soldiers on D-Day understood that what they were a part of was so much bigger than themselves. They weren't fighting for that battle. They were fighting for the war. The battle you face every single day. It might be fought day to day to day, but it's measured in eternity. Every single day, you got to fight. You can't take a day off. You take a day off, you will be shot. 
if you don't take up every bit of that armor, you can't maneuver. If you don't take up every bit of that armor, you got nothing. Don't become a casualty of war. There were people that were here last year, and they're not here this year. There were people that were here last year that don't even love Jesus today. There were people that are here right now that won't be here next year. There are people that are here right now receiving the work of God in their life, having a radical experience here at Collision. But in September, same old, same old. In September, back to school, back with the crowd. My boyfriend or girlfriend, they're not here this weekend. So on Monday, same old, same old. God can do something insane in your life. But you don't have to take your sandals off. You turn right around tomorrow. But if you take that extra step of obedience, showing him, you can trust me with the big things because I'm going to show you in the little things, in the, in the small convictions of my life, that, that one band that I know I shouldn't listen to, it's not a big deal. It's just music. No, no, Jesus, I want, I want your spirit to work in me in every crevice of my being. So you can trust me with the big things because I'll show you in the little things. Don't become a casualty of war. A good soldier follows the command of their authority. You have spiritual authority in your life. When a pastor talks to you, listen. A pastor is not talking to you because they want to. Trust me, we got to say a lot of confrontational things that it's not fun. Surprisingly enough, I'm a non-confrontational person. It turns my gut inside out, sideways, upside down, like worst roller coaster ever when I have to talk to my own brothers about something confrontational. I hate it. But your spiritual authority is there to guide you. Your spiritual authority is there to help you understand the voice of, your, of, of God in your own life. Listen to them. They understand the battle strategy. They're not going to send you into war to try and get you killed. That doesn't make any sense at all. God would never command us to do anything that would harm us. He is a good father. There are 365 commands in the Bible to not fear. 365. You know how many days there are in a year? God's given us a reminder every single day of our lives. I want you to go Google this. Get yourself a list. Get yourself 365 sticky notes for your mirror. Whatever it takes. Whatever you need to do to put on truth every single day in order to trust God. You do what you have to do. 
be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you would, just stand with me. Every day the battle is going to come to you. Every day the battle is going to come to you. Have your mind made up how you're going to respond. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is what he tells us in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. He's telling you the trouble's guaranteed. In this world, you're going to face some stuff. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The God who has overcome everything is for you. The God who has conquered death, hell, and the grave is for you. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you have called us to be. And Lord, we ask that you teach us daily to be more like you. God, we ask that you teach us every single day how to walk more like you, how to talk more like you, and most importantly, God, think more like you. Lord, fortify our minds, renew our minds, baptize our minds, shift our mindsets and our thought processes, reverse toxic thinking, years of bad habits, reverse it right now in Jesus' name, supernaturally. He's healing your mind right now. He is healing your mind right now. You don't have anxiety anymore. He has released you of it. It's not yours to hang on to. You're not a gossip anymore. You're not a negative thinker. You don't think ill will of other people anymore. He's released you of it. You don't have that addiction anymore. He's giving you strength and courage to face it every single day. What you have is the opportunity to fall, fall into the Father's arms to call upon the God of the angel armies. And so, Jesus, we praise you that no weapon formed against us will ever prosper. No weapon formed against us will ever prosper. No weapon formed against us will ever prosper. And God, as the weapon is formed, give us the defense. Give us the mindset. Give us the strategy to defend, to ward off evil, to stay true to your word, stay true to your command, to listen to your voice on what the next step is. And when you tell us to take our sandals off, they're coming off. They're coming off. They're coming off. Come on, let's sing. Let's respond in worship. Let's declare his goodness over our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.